<laughs> for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown. The fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. It's 12 past 12. Hello, Charlie, with you. A big welcome to Dr. Kimberly Earle and Cheryl Shaw. Hello to you both. Hello, how are you today? Oh, look, we're doing well. We've got some interesting stuff today and a pet that I, I wouldn't have thought we were going to chat about on Pet Chat, but I think it's great. What are we looking at, Cheryl? Okay, we're going to be talking about the axolotl, which is commonly called the Mexican walking fish. They are very <laughs> cool looking, aren't they? Mm. So we're going to look at them and see whether they may make a good pet or not. Yes. Okay. And what are you looking at today, Kimberly? a little later on? Well, it's cold and flu season for humans, and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about cat flu. It's quite different to our flu, but it's uh, worthwhile knowing about. Now, Cheryl, we're looking at axolotls today. They can make really good pets. How did this all come about? Well, I had a phone call the other day from a lady who was trying to work out how much it costs to keep a dog because her children wanted a dog, and she wanted to know about grooming and bathing and, you know, then... The responsible! Th- oh, absolutely. A responsible potential and pet owner. Do Doing research to just find out how much a pet would cost. Now, she wasn't in a position to be able to afford a dog or a cat. And so she was sort of saying to me, well, what, you know, what could I recommend that would be a suitable pet? So as we were talking, we thought about the axolotl, the Mexican walking fish, because they're really easy to care for and um, they're a lot of fun as well. But one of the interesting things with the axolotl is that it's a nocturnal animal. So I suggested that they could feed the axolotl after they had their dinner. Um, They're quite easy to look after. They don't require a lot of um, equipment, so a basic bowl or a tank is a good idea. And when Kimberly and I were just speaking about the axolotl, um, we were talking about the fact that they can have a few issues, and one of them is not to put pebbles in the bottom of the tank. Oh. Mm. Do their feet get stuck? No. (laughs) No. They have a a bit of a habit of ingesting them, and then they can Ah. get a, a rock foreign body in their gut. Yeah, Mm. right. So, yeah, so putting sand as the base um, on the tank is a really good idea. So they don't need a pump in the tank or or anything like that? You can have a pump, but as they get older, they actually slow down. Their metabolism slows down, so they don't actually require um, that amount of oxygen. You need to make sure you're changing the water regularly, so once a week changing the water. Okay. And there's not a lot that can go wrong with them. I mean, obviously, if you've got good husbandry and you're cleaning the tank and you're looking out for things, if they get a slimy um, sort of white substance on them, you certainly need to be treating that for fungal um, for fungal um, activity that could be a, a white spot or something like that. But to correct their tank and to keep that under control is really quite inexpensive. They are nocturnal, so giving that the children can actually spend time watching them at night time moving around their tank and you can get little ornaments if you want to to put into your your tank and just keep a check on them now i don't know a lot about them can they come out of the water like can they spend time out of the water yes they can but not too long um they are actually a salamander originally that was what they were called um but they can spend some time out of the water they usually live about 10 to 12 years that's a good that's good life expectancy for Mm. them really there's got another thing that's really quite keen if they have an accident they can grow their limbs back so just say something you know freaky happens they can actually grow their kids would love that yeah not that you want them to do anything (laughs) damaging Don't don't go (laughs) chopping limbs off to watch them grow back. Definitely do not do that. No. And for feeding, there's some really great pelleted food you can get. And it's advisable to, um, when you're feeding them, to actually put it in with a pair of tweezers so that you're not contaminating the water. And if you feed them at night time, that's usually the best thing. Kimberly, what else can go wrong health-wise with them? 
Um, a lot of it is to do with water quality. So I think if you can, I would usually recommend having a filter in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, the They're cold water animals, and so where they will struggle is if the water temperature starts to get too um, hot, too warm. They actually get stressed in warm water. Um, and so it's, it's recommended to um, have a thermometer, an actual thermometer, monitoring the temperature of the water and try to keep it as um, stable as possible. And, and that might mean... Um, in summertime, if we're having really hot weather and you're having, you know, maybe you don't have a house that's air conditioned, you might need to, um, you know, sort of top up the water, take a bit of warm water out and add a bit of cooler water in to try to keep that temperature a bit more stable. Um, occasionally we'll see them with uh, systemic bacterial infections. It often looks like a um, sort of red streakiness. You can almost sort of see the red blood vessels sort of coming out, streaking through their body. Particularly, they come in a couple of different color varieties. And so the, the white ones that have the beautiful red gills, um, you can see those ones a lot more clearly if they start to get this abnormal sort of red streaks through their body. But on the whole, they are a fairly low um, maintenance sort of animal. So, And there are some vets around that do um, see and treat axolotls should you, should they have a problem but compared to dogs and cats and things like that it's a lot less um a lot less uh common so mm. when you're changing the water do you do mm-hmm. you have to put some some drops in to make the ph balance you know more you, appropriate you can for them? dechlorinators yeah, you, there are dechlorinators okay. around you can um if you have spare room in your house you can just have a, a bucket of water that's tapped once the water has sat for about 24 hours usually the chlorine is is sort of evaporates out of it yeah um and so you usually can just have some extra sort of water sitting there but that's not going to help you that much if you're trying to cool water off yeah, you know sure. that kind of thing um i have had clients sometimes that will um you know do a little sort of floating ice cube in the you know put a few ice cubes in the top it, it depends on the size of the tank you have as well smaller tanks the water temperature will be much more variable than a, um, a slightly bigger tank and things as well so yeah. yeah so just making sure that you keep that tank in an area that doesn't get too warm and mm. and looking out for them i reckon i'd have more luck with an axolotl than i did with my fish <laughs> i just could not keep fish alive unfortunately mm. fish can be quite mm. difficult but the axolotl is quite an easy pet to care for mm. Mm. i think that's yeah. a really good suggestion and and do we know what they retail for cheryl like they, are they, they range or? in price so it depends on their size but anything from seven to twenty dollars oh, so right. yeah it's pretty and, good isn't it yeah. and the color like kimberly was saying you know you can get your whites or your grays your your, yeah. your blacks and they're, yeah. they're very um interesting to watch animals i would say the, the advice that i would have is never get one that's really really little um these sort of smaller when we're dealing with reptiles and amphibians the smaller they are the harder they are to take care of so don't get the biggest one in the shop but maybe don't also get the smallest one or the smallest couple as well so get one that already you can see is thriving particularly if you ask the shop and say are, are these all the same age the ones that are the littlest ones are the ones that are maybe not thriving as mm. well mm. yeah um, good, good advice and and do your research as well there's some really good um websites out there on axolotls that even myself as a vet i sometimes refer to them because i don't see them that often and although and the, i do see them probably one a year um maybe twice a year um, but I often refer to, there's some really good websites online, you know, about axolotls that have really good information on them. So, yeah. Yeah, good one. So any parents at home may be looking for a pet for the kids and, yeah. you know, can't can't afford or don't have the time for a dog or a cat. Yeah. yeah. An axolotl is a Super option. low exercise requirement. You don't have to walk <laughs> them. That's it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You're listening to Pet Chat and we are taking your calls 49216216. It's Pet Chat and Dr. Kimberly Earl answering your questions 49216. Two one six. G'day, Chris in Lambton. You've got a question about a fish. Yeah, and how are you? We're good, thanks. Um, I 
I'm not allowed to have animals. Okay. And I'm really, I, I, I feel really awful because I would love to take one of your um, rescue pets, but I'm not allowed to. Um, I want to talk about fish and see if they're hard to look after. Uh, well, that's a bit of a loaded question because it really depends on um, the type of fish. They can be very simple, and then you can certainly get some that are very complex. So, you know, if you're a first-time fish owner, I would start with um, something that's sort of quite simple to to um, keep. That's often going to be goldfish because, again, they're cold-water fish, so you don't have to worry about... Um, uh, you know, having a, a heater and monitoring your temperature as much. And there's lots of um, lovely little fancy goldfish. They can um, live in a relatively small, um, you know, the, the old goldfish bowl type, you know, scenario. Yeah. So a relatively small tank. Um, Siamese fighting fish um, are, are another one that are fairly easy to look after that live in a relatively small space. And they're a um, beautiful fish. You know, they're the, the ones that can fan out their tails and things like that. Kimberly, you know yeah. how they come in the tiny little tanks? Yeah. Is that okay? Like, yeah, so you wouldn't want to necessarily keep them in that for a long, long time. But they're a type of fish called a labyrinth fish. So they actually do have the ability to take a bit of, they come up to the surface and they actually can take a little bit of um, oxygen out from the surface of the water. So they don't need to have movement. And in their, um, I believe they're South American, they're Siamese fighting fish, maybe they're, not, maybe they're in, uh, Asian, but they... Um, when the wet period drains, um, you get these little fish that are left in little tiny puddles and right. they live for a, quite a long period of time. In a, in a home situation, you'd still ideally like to put them into a, you know, a, a tank that they can move around okay, in. Okay, sure. Um, they do like to have a little bit of you know, um, greenery in there to you know, swim in and amongst and things like that. But that's why they, why they have them like that in the pet shops. They are, those ones that you see like that in the pet shops, they are males. They're all the males with have the big, um, beautiful fins and they will fight with each other. I was going to say, they yeah. can only, you can only have one, One per you? tank, yeah, yeah. Chris, yeah. that could be a good one for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that um, that's a good idea, but I just I just feel sad that I can't have an animal. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's hard because you're not allowed to have pets where I am, where I am at. And I think um, people are crying out to, to help animals, you know? Yeah. yeah, well, it's good that you're thinking outside of the, the box and inside the tank. That's right. Because that yeah. might work That's for right. you. <laughs> Taking your calls, 49216216. We've got Dr. Kimberly Earle here, ready to answer any of your questions. We're going to go to Helen from East Maitland next. She's got a cat that's uh, got a bit of an issue, Dr. Kimberly Earle, so <laughs> we hope we can address that one and help her out. Helen, you've got a problem with your cat. How can Dr. Kimberly Earle help you? He's had diarrhoea since April. He's been treated four times for it but he's still got it. Uh, we changed his food to Royal Tenon and I found out that's causing it to be more severe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so he's been undergoing care with your veterinarian, is that right? Yes. Yeah, and does anything that you've done, has it resolved it at all or not? He finished his medicine Saturday, Yeah. his third lot, yeah. and... It got worse on Sunday. Okay, so as soon as so it, when he's on the medicine, it gets better, and then when he finishes up, it comes back. Does it? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's a it's a complex problem, obviously, with your cat, and and working with your veterinarian is um is really the the very important thing. There can be a lot of reasons for cats to have diarrhea. Um, is he an elderly cat or a young cat? He's 
No, he's nine year old. Nine years old. Okay. So I guess the questions that, that first of all, the thing to do is if he's um, if he's recurred again, you know, I would always say straight away get back to your veterinarian and say, listen, while we were on the medication, everything was good, but as soon as we go off, it comes back. Don't wait um, a number of weeks till it gets really bad again because the cat then risks dehydration, things like that. Um, you know, if you've hopefully the vet's done all the normal sort of basic workup on him. I imagine fecal samples have been done. Um, we might need yes. to start looking at fecal cultures where we're sending them off to the labs and there's some new fancy tests that they can do um, called PCR tests to pick up some of the more rare bugs that these guys can get. Um, our next diagnostic step typically at this stage, if we've done food trials and certainly that's always the way to go using a, um, a hypoallergenic diet, it sometimes takes a couple different ones to find the one that works right for your cat. But if that's not working, then we do start talking about more invasive tests like biopsying their gastrointestinal tract. Um, sometimes we'll pick up things like um, helicobacter, which is an ulcer-producing um, uh, bacteria. That's usually going to cause some signs like, di- uh, like vomiting as well. Uh, but certainly cats and elderly cats can have a number of um, inflammatory conditions, inflammatory bowel disease. They can have lymphoma, which is a type of cancer of the gut, unfortunately, that can be quite treatable. But we sometimes actually need to have a tissue sample to actually get down to the bottom of the diagnosis. So I would get back in touch with your vet, let them know what's happening, that as soon as we go off the medication, sometimes it's a matter of changing medications or a longer course of medications. There are certainly specialist um, referrals possible. Uh, If your vet is starting to feel like he's at the end of the diagnostic, um, he or she at the end of the diagnostic chain as far as he's comfortable, um, you know, you could certainly look at a referral. But I think probably for your cat, if this has gone on since April, we need to start looking and thinking about some of the um, higher level diagnostics to see if we can get it under control. Okay, so a couple of things to do there. Helen, good luck with it all. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Sounds it is. like it could be lots of different things. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm not really in a position to comment because obviously it's been going on a long time. There's multiple different treatments and causes, and for me, um, you know, to make much of an informed uh, comment about it, I really need to see a medical history, and of it's course. not sort of my place. But, um, you know, I, I guess there's always more that you can do sometimes there's limitations financially and time-wise and you know what what people are able to do um but i think going back to the veterinarian who's already managing the case early on in the piece and saying listen this is helping something's helping but it's coming back as soon as we stop yeah. and, and going from they've there. already got a starting spot there don't yeah, they? yeah that's right yeah okay taking yep. your calls four nine two one six two one six. now while we're looking at cats yeah we wanted to look at cat flu and you said it's very different yeah. to humans when we it get is. flus and it obviously it can happen any time of the year? can happen any time of the year. It's a really common disease that we see in cats. Um, and it's not just one sort of organism. So we, we call it cat flu, but cat flu is sort of a term that we use to describe cats that have upper respiratory tract disease. Um, in most cases, it's going to be one of three things, which is herpes virus, calice virus, or chlamydia, which is a bacterial infection. Um, so typically cats with cat flu, they're often young. They're often cats that have recently been adopted or purchased. They've sometimes come from breeders or catteries. Um, the viruses are long-lived, long acting you know sort of in the environment and they're very contagious and so um, it's very common for you know once a a cattery or breeder 
gets cat flu. It's very difficult to eradicate that. Um, certainly cats coming from shelters and rescue organizations, they often have been exposed. They may not be clinically affected. But the things that you're looking for is cats that have um, discharges, particularly from their eyes or their nose, um, watery eyes even, if they've got squinting of the eyes. Mm-hmm. The, the different... Um, um, Infection. So Khaleesi virus can cause infections in the mouth where sometimes we'll see cats with ulcers and herpes virus can cause ulceration of the eyes. Um, so you, those cats are often very squinty and sore on their eyes. Um, but any cat that has been sneezing or has any nasal discharge should be considered um, at risk of um, being a cat with cat flu. And because it is contagious, you need to really have a good think about um, particularly bringing a new cat or kitten into the house, um, maybe quarantining it away from your own existing cats should you have them because you know once you're you bring a new kitten in it's got a bit of cat flu it's going to probably um spread it to your other you know other cats they're not contagious to humans and they're not contagious to dogs so that's a good thing um we do know that herpes viruses a lot of different species get herpes viruses and herpes can be um brought out by stress so once you've been exposed and you have a herpes virus you're unlikely to ever get rid of it you're going to carry it with you but you may not see clinical signs of it unless you uh, get stressed so a lot of times you have cats that look completely normal they're in a um, a shelter situation or rescue situation we then move them into a new home and there's a period of adjustment and that can cause enough stress sometimes then to call cause a recrudescence or a re-emergence of that um, herpes virus cat flu so kimberly once they have it is it easy to treat Like, yes and no. So there are things that we can do to treat it. But because we're primarily dealing with viral diseases, a lot of what we do is supportive care and we're relying on the immune system, the body's immune system to sort of knock the infection um, out of out of, you know, clinical um, phase. So we do usually treat them with antibiotics. Uh, Sometimes that's against anti uh, secondary infections. So you can get secondary bacterial infections on top of the viruses. The antibiotic we use, doxycycline, most commonly um, is said to have some immune modulating or immune boosting properties. And so that's another good reason for using it. But we also want to prevent those secondary infections. Often these cats will be painful, um, particularly if they have Khaleesi virus ulcers in their mouth. So we often have them on some sort of an analgesic. Uh, we quil- frequently treat them with eye ointments if they've got herpes virus. Um, they get red conjunct. Uh, red conjunctivitis and, and itchy, scratchy eyes, so we'll treat that. Yep. But we don't have anything that directly targets the viruses in most cases. I think um, uh, there are some people who, who use things like acyclovir and things like that, antivirals, but I'm not convinced that, you know, that they're very useful. Certainly in my practice, we don't use them routinely. Um, really good husbandry and supportive care for these guys. You know, cats don't like to eat if they can't smell and sometimes they have thick mucus discharge from the nose and Mm. so helping to wipe that away and humidify their environment a little bit to help clear the nose, that can help bring their appetite back. And in severe cases, sometimes they need to come into hospital because they're they're just not feeling well enough to eat. And so sometimes we have to give them um, supportive so fluid other, therapy. Other yeah. yeah, other problems. Yeah. Okay. But mostly it's about trying to um, reduce their stress and, and support their immune system, give them their secondary medications. And it's a little bit of, you know, tincture of time and just giving them a bit of time, um, putting some really tasty smorgasbord foods in front of them to try to encourage them to eat. So it often like can get better on its own. Oh, uh, yeah, eventually. In, in most cases, it will get better, um, you know, with a bit of supportive care and, and just some yeah. time. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. we've been looking at cat flu. Now, we didn't cover vaccinations, mm-hmm. Dr. Kimberly Earl. Should we be doing this? Absolutely. So cat flu is the primary um, sort of cat vaccinations that we use. So when you get a, a standard F3 or F4 vaccination, um, you're getting a vaccine against panleukopenia, which is a parvovirus, so different to our respiratory stuff. And then usually two or three of the respiratory components. So um, feline herpes virus and feline calicivirus are always included. And depending on the vet and the situation, sometimes we'll include a vaccine against chlamydia as well, which is, like I said, the bacterial one. We don't use it, um, the chlamydia, my practice doesn't use it so much anymore because usually that infection is coming in very, very young kittens or in a cattery type situation. Um, And so we do find that um, that one's not maybe as useful for us in the cat populations that we see. They're usually a bit older than that. Vaccinating them is probably not going to be that beneficial for them. Um, But the herpes and calicivirus virus is really important. So it's very essential that kittens get well vaccinated, usually three to four vaccinations. Usually they're one month apart, starting at about eight weeks of age, um, and then annual boosters. And even if your cat has had um, cat flu, the annual boosters are really important, particularly with herpes virus. The immune system doesn't seem to generate a very good protective response after they've had it, or even really after a vaccination, which is why we really need to be boostering them every year for it. So Kimberly, when you get a kitten, is it advisable? to sort of keep them away from other cats until they've had their vaccinations? Ideally, um, it, it's a, there's always a catch-22. So ideally, you would keep the kitten away until they're fully vaccinated and also because you don't know what that kitten might already be carrying. Um, but you also need to make sure if it's coming into a multi-cat household, to a certain degree, you want to start the introduction, the slow introduction and socialization period mm-hmm. as well. So I usually tell people if it's a multi-cat household, introduce the cat really slowly. So ideally, keep it in its own room for the first week to two weeks and just let them start getting used to the noises and the sounds and smells through the door um, that should give you an opportunity to see what kind of um, you know whether the cat the, the new kitten is going to break out with um, anything you know cat fluey um, make sure that they've gotten at least their first vaccination into them and, and it takes a couple of weeks for vaccinations to be effective so um, you know start really slowly and try to protect your cats as well as watching what the other new cat is um is doing uh, uh, sorry old cats are doing yeah. and if you've got a cat that already has uh the cat flu yep. can you get the vaccinations we then, don't or should you wait till yeah so we don't better. typically vaccinate cats um that are unwell and, and in, in general animals that are unwell don't receive vaccinations because their immune system is already busy fighting off the infection and by us vaccinating them we're just taxing the immune system more so that kitten certainly needs to be vaccinated but we usually wait till the clinical signs have resolved and the kitten's sort of feeling healthy again that then means that their immune system is likely to be more robust and more able to respond appropriately to our vaccination. We are talking all things pets. It's 12 to 1 and we do have a free line for you if you've got any questions. We've got 10 minutes to answer them, 49216216. So, Carol, we have Carol here with a question about biscuits for her dog. Yes, Kimberly. Yeah, what can I help Hi. with? I was wondering, you hear a lot about grain-free kibble yep. these days. Mm-hmm. Is that preferable to... Not not necessarily for your average dog, okay? So we do see some dogs that um, will have intolerances to wheat um, or maybe gluten, but particularly wheat. But for the average dog, dogs are omnivorous species, unlike cats and ferrets, but cats too. Um, they really need to be sort of carnivorous and they don't tolerate grains very well. Most dogs will do just fine on a dog food that has some carbohydrates and some grains in it. 
Some of them oh, okay. won't, though. Um, so there has been a, a, a very big sort of marketing push in the last few years. A lot of pet food companies sort of say, oh, we've got our grain-free variety. For your average dog who's not having um, gut upset issues, they have you know normal stools, they're not vomiting, they're putting on normal amounts of weight but not getting, um, you know, not, not too skinny, not too fat, um, and they don't have skin inflammation, most of the time your standard, you know, sort of a good quality dog food is going to be fine. Um, but we do certain, certainly see circumstances where some dogs won't tolerate it. Um, my general rule with dog food is, you know, buy the best dog food that you can afford because even um, even dog foods that are sort of uh, a normal dog food, the qualities of the grains, there'll be a lot more fillers in the poor quality ones. So you'll get a lot more things that are indigestible that are just going in as insoluble fibers in your lower quality dog foods, whereas your higher quality dog foods, they'll still have some grains and some carbohydrates in them, but they'll be a, a higher quality so that the dog can, you know, use them and pr- uh, process them a bit better. Hmm. Okay, but if your dog's healthy, not really a need to to buy a grain-free variety. Oh, well, thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. It's amazing, you know, a lot of the time marketing gets us and we think, oh, we have to be doing this or have to be doing that. And in fact, I was just thinking, maybe one time we can look at what Mm -hmm. we should be feeding our pets because I know Mm, that's one thing my husband and I always argue about is how often Gizmo should be fed. Well, we do. I do once once a day, but um, we'll often give fresh meat and he'll say, no, 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 he doesn't need that now, just biscuits. (laughs) So I'd be interested to know what we should be doing. Yeah, sure, we can certainly do that at some point. Yeah, Yeah, it would be good. big market. And we've got a look at our pet of the week in fact we've got two gnarly and winnie we'll have a look at these little guys and if you are in the market for some cuties then um you know you might be really interested because they are sweethearts uh yes introducing gnarly and winnie they are a bonded pair so they're looking for a forever home together so you get a two in one so you really need to be ready to have you know not just one pet but yeah, two in this yep. situation um gnarly the thing is they are a little older so you're not getting puppies gnarly six years old he's a male now he's a dash hound cross fox terrier um and they both love the beach these guys so they're energetic and they love the beach the other one is winnie he's a five year uh, she's a five-year-old female now she's a miniature foxy cross jack russell terrier so you've got two little balls of energy yeah um they get along f- fabulously with other dogs so they do love their fa- their favorite thing is going to the beach running around and having a bit of a play so um you know that's what they'll be looking at doing they're very curious about the world they love exploring and they also love humans so they they you know they're affectionate and they love cuddles if you'd like to check them out and uh if you'd like more details head to 2nurfm.com and just click on pet chat and it'll give you all the info you need, but they are gorgeous. Now, I think we have time, definitely, for another call. So we're going to go to Zarina from Stockton. Now, you've got a question about um, your dog's diet. Uh, Yes, I'm looking after a dog that has Cushing syndrome. Yes. And um, at the moment, he's uh, doing very loose stool. Okay. And just hearing the the discussion about the grain food and that, I'm just wondering, is there any special food that might uh, be good for him? Right, okay. So um, it's a bit of a complex thing because Cushing's disease is quite a challenging um, disease and it sort of depends on whether the dog's on treatment for it or not or if he's just, you know, sort of himself Um, because sometimes we don't treat them. Uh, I guess the thing I would always sort of start with is the basics. So has he been wormed recently? Has he had a diet change? Um, Even stress sometimes in these guys will cause a little bit more um, diarrhea. So you said you're looking after him. If that's a recent thing and he's just sort of settling in, it might be a bit of a transition period. Cushing's disease... Um. Sorry. Sorry. Yep. No. Yep. No. He, he comes here often. Okay. Uh, in fact, when he's not here, people ask me where my other 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes, yeah. So, so that I don't think they're stressed on that Okay, part. good. So Cushing's disease <clears throat> itself doesn't, we don't sort of treat it nutritionally, doesn't specifically have a lot of nutritional um, requirements. Um, I guess I always think a dog who's got loose stools, um, quite often what we have to do is take them back to a fairly bland diet initially to see if we can get the stools to sort of normalize. So that's often going to be something really, really easy to digest. So stop feeding any um, bones or fresh meat that's raw um, and go back to something really like plain like just some chicken and rice, a boiled chicken, skinless chicken with no bones um, and some boiled rice, small meals frequently to just to try to give the gastrointestinal tract a little bit of a chance to rest and then start reintroducing their regular diet um, uh, over a few days. But it, it may be, it may require that we, um, you know, sort of look with a veterinarian at what the diet is doing and make sure that everything's okay there. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's sort of a challenging thing to address on the radio because it's you know there can be so many different factors in that case. So yeah, I like mm. the, the going back to the simple food. So yep. the, the chicken and the rice, and then yep. obviously usually a couple it days of again. that sorts it out, and then we can start from there and see what's happening. Mm. Dr. Kimberly Earl, Cheryl Shaw. Like always, it's gone far too quickly, but that's it for us today for Pet Chat. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Yeah. It has been. Thank, Thank you, you both for coming in. Of course, Pet Chat back next week from one o'clock.